You are listening to the No Formula Podcast, episode number 25. Luis Diaz is a communications specialist at Lexington Strategies. He is a professor at McGill University, a mentor at Futurepreneur, but in this episode, we focus on how he started and helped build several companies. Luis emphasizes the importance of timing, knowing your strengths, and doing your research before jumping into any project. He talks about the opportunities of the fourth generation of technology and the importance of not saying yes all the time. Connect with Luis Diaz on LinkedIn, and in the meantime, continue listening to hear more about why he invested $600,000 of his own money into one project. The Note Formula podcast offers a glimpse into the lives of real entrepreneurs who possess a variety of experiences and backgrounds. Through raw conversations, learn about their passions, journeys, setbacks, and milestones. Join host Laura L. Bernhard as she confirms that there is, in fact, no formula to success. Get inspired and stay motivated throughout your entire journey. Subscribe today. Being an entrepreneur is a mindset. Everybody wants to start their own business. Everybody wants to start their own project. Uh, but the big difference between an entrepreneur and an intrapreneur is the risk and being able to parse that risk within your train of thought. Everybody likes the independence of decision. Everybody likes to be able to say, I'm the master of my own destiny, as long as I don't have to bill, invoice, or chase people for money. And that is the big difference. The entrepreneur is the person who puts it all out there, who will, you know, eat, uh, you know, ship boy RD for a couple of weeks because he just put all his money down on a massive project that either was a calculated risk or um, he sees a diamond in the rough that nobody else sees. And being secure about what you do is uh, very much a part of being an entrepreneur because I am yet to meet an entrepreneur who jumped into something with everybody around him saying, oh, that's a great idea. Unless it was at a party and everybody was drunk. (laughs) Okay, that makes sense. It's like, oh, we have an app that you should develop. And it's like, really? And it's because there was a a little bit of beer, a little bit of wine. Yeah. Um, But that being said, being an entrepreneur is a mindset. Having um, a stomach for that type of risk is, it's a whole other person. It's a whole other human being. Um, if you look at, for example, uh, there's an episode online of um, a sort of a vlog that I see on YouTube quite often because they talk a little bit about the facts of of things that are happening. And they just did an episode on WeWork, the $56 billion debacle. Mm -hmm. And the way they express themselves about the founder is, is great because they say he had that founder characteristic of, you know, uh, not dressing up, walking barefoot, looking disheveled, and then losing his mind, and then five minutes later being perfectly fine and on a whole other subject matter. That in itself um, is not something that everybody can do. And that's sort of like, okay, I opened this box, I dealt with it, I closed this box, I open another box, and I deal with it, and I close it. And people don't understand, and then people think, hey, man, are you bipolar? Like, how, how, how are you able to do this? But that's how you're able to manage everything. 100%. So when people tell you, oh, I don't think you're focused because you're working on so many projects, how do you respond to that? 
Do you explain it depends the whole who boxes? Asks. It depends oh, okay. who asks. Okay, okay. Some people are like, yeah, you're probably right. And I should probably go <laughs> get a job at Burger King or something. Um, there's some other people who I will bother explaining it to them. But the problem is, it really depends who you're explaining it to. If you're in a room full of founders, they're like, you only have five projects? <laughs> what? Yeah, and, and they're like, well, we're managing 10, 20, and, you know... I have a board of this and I'm on the board of that and I have a VC interest in this. And then that's when you kind of feel um, like you're not doing as much as you could. Oh, that, and that, and that then you start comparing. Well, you don't start comparing. I think that um, you'll get to a point where, like I was just recently at, in, on, a, on a trip out west uh, and I met some people and it's very, it, this may sound pretentious a bit but I finally am going into groups where I'm not the the mover and the shaker of the group mm -hmm. and I've always said if you're the smartest person in the group you're in the wrong group mm -hmm. uh, so at certain points you have to uh, use the rule that my grandfather used to always tell me that you have two ears and one mouth so you can listen more talk less mm -hmm. and and that sometimes happens. And so you walk into a room where these guys are like, you know, late 20s, early 30s, but they're managing half a billion dollars. I'm going to I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get a scotch. I'm going to put a smile on my face and I'm going to be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> so did you always know you wanted to be an entrepreneur? I don't know if I always wanted to be an entrepreneur as I always said, oh, I can run this better. I can do this oh. much better. Um, I can't believe I'm working with this person. Uh, oh, my God. Uh, common sense is not so common. What the heck? And once you start finding that stride, then you start identifying other opportunities. And that's when you start seeing things differently. For me, I think the, the rule of thumb has always been I hate no. I think that no is not an answer. I think that no is, um, you know, in, in knowing that in the context of, of we cannot do it it cannot happen it's too difficult it's too complicated i find that no is an easy sort of escape goal type answer versus we can always figure out a yes if we look at variables and we try to find um, an outside of the box solution once you figure that out for me i analyze what's the worst case scenario is it worth the investment? Is it worth the time? And then that's when we say, okay, well, you know, we may be onto something or, you know what, that was another one of those wine projects that we call, right? Is that what they call it? I call them wine oh. projects. I mean, I've had some great wine projects that at one point or another I wanted to pursue and maybe I took a bit too long. And then we heard about them. I'm like, you see, that was a great wine project. <laughs> it was a great, somebody else did it. Did, were we bugged? I don't know what happened, but it happens. Do so. you remember the last time that happened? I can, I do, I just can't say it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just can't say it because it's not um, appropriate. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a great idea. And if you want, I can tell you offline. But it was, okay, it was okay, a, tell me later. It was a brilliant idea. Okay. Um, and then somebody else came up with it. And, and we were like, I can't believe we just missed on that one. Yeah, but does that really mean that you can't do it too? Well, <clears throat> it depends. I mean, again, there's two types of projects. The ones you want to keep and maintain and nourish and grow. And then there's those that you want the first mover advantage in order to uh, position them and then sell them. Okay, so what was 
What was your last project that you sold? Um, the last project, so I don't have a project recently that I sold. I divested of it. Okay. And uh, the reason why I divested of it is because for the last year, I've been looking at the market and noticing that a lot of the intellectual powerhouses in, in startups and in finance are already bracing themselves for a recession. Okay. And so, although I'm not, you know, saying there is or there isn't or promoting it or rejecting it, when the river makes noise is because it brings rocks somewhere down the line. So because of that, you start sort of picking and choosing your battles, looking at your portfolio and being like, okay, is it worth it to continue doing this? How, how, how far are we from maturity? How far are we from having a product that can sell? Um, how long is that um, curve where this project will become, you know, fruitful on its own without, you know, backers and whatnot? So at that point, you decide, is the juice worth the squeeze or not? And that's what it was. So I went from a majority stake to a very minority stake and sitting on the board. Um, and that even just ended as of October, where I removed myself from the board of this one specific project. Um, because it's not that it's a bad project. There is never a bad project. It's just the wrong time or mm -hmm. not the right market conditions. Um, and that's what I think about this project that I'm thinking about specifically. Can you talk about the project or no? Well, I think that if I talked about the project, I would do them a disservice because they're still in the market. Okay. Um, so it's not that I don't talk about it. I still promote it actively. I still share it on my circles. It's a consumer packaged good product, mm -hmm. uh, project, let's call it. Um, but I wouldn't want to just uh, do them that disservice because it's a great project. It's a great product. It just doesn't fit my portfolio presently. Yeah. Okay, so can you talk to us about some projects that you're working on right now? Absolutely. Absolutely. So currently, one of um, our companies is developing softwares. Obviously, this company just develops softwares. Um, and I find that softwares is the ultimate risk. It's kind of like, think of it as real estate, except that if the project doesn't work, well, you can't sell a software that doesn't work. Um, it's not like you build a house and if you have to knock down the house, at least you have the land. Um, <laughs> it's true. That's one way of looking at it. Well, that's true. I mean, if you build a house like Dr. Seuss house, you know, you don't have to knock it down. Yeah. You still have the land. You still have land. In software, There's still value. Yeah. yeah. In software, okay. there isn't. Um, and so... Uh, these are very calculated risks. They're very expensive risks. Uh, I think in the last couple of years, I've put in um, well over $600,000 in, <gasps> in softwares. Yeah. And of your own personal money? Yeah, exactly. Did you ever get funding? <clears throat> no. No. Um, our strategy was a little bit different. Okay. Um, and uh, unfortunately, in Canada, we don't have the same access to capital as in the States where with a good business plan, you get in. In Canada, they're like, oh, that's a great business plan. Can we have the house to your key, uh, the keys to your house? Yeah. Um, and you're like, well, no. So they're like, well, then good luck and call us when you make your first million dollars in sales and then we'll fund you. I'm like, well, why would we need you when we're making a million dollars? Yeah. Um, that is the big negative of startups in Canada. So that being said, um, like I was mentioning before, the market has changed a bit. When you have projects like WeWork being funded and Uber and Tail Taxi, where the idea is great, but every um, 
founders looking at this project being like, how the heck are these people getting $50 billion when their, when their work plan and their business plan does not make sense? Mm. Um, those are telltale signs that, you know, there may be a crunch coming down the line. I remember an economist, a professor of mine when I was in school used to tell me, when you start seeing people um, disrespecting the value of money and buying luxury vehicles and spending on whatever, we're not far from a recession. And that's what's happening now? I believe that's what's happening now. I see it. I mean, $56 billion in WeWork, where you have a comparable company like um, the parent company of Regis in Canada in the yeah. States, who has uh, five times the properties, five times the tenants, and five times the amount of locations. And yet WeWork has 100 times the valuation. Yeah, that's crazy when WeWork is selling itself as a tech company where it really is just grabbing property and releasing it a hundred times over. So it's great now, but if there's a recession and the value of the properties go down, they are up a creek without a paddle. And that's why people are pulling out of WeWork. And this is why there's certain things that are happening out there that we just don't really understand. So going back to the, to the softwares, well, you know, for us, we, we prefer to be a master of our own destiny, and we've been developing a couple of softwares. One just hit market. Um, it's a very niche market. It's um, a software called uh, Milo, um, and it's a animal licensing management software dedicated or basically built for government, so built for municipalities. What it does, it basically brings municipalities' licensing management to the 21st century. If you have a pet, you probably have to go to City Hall, fill out a form to get your license, and you go pay cash, maybe debit, and then every year you have to go back. Mm-hmm. In, 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 in 2019, these things are still not available online. So we developed a software that not only allows them to sell, but also manage. So uh, very strong um, data filtering, data management, notification system, um, a system that permits uh, the municipalities to uh, communicate in case of an emergency with um, residents that have pets. Um, overall, a very robust tool um, that can serve uh, I mean, a township of 5,000 people or a city of well over half a million. Currently, um, this software has been presented to over 40 five different cities, townships, and municipalities throughout Ontario and Quebec. And it currently has um, been accepted as one of the two um, providers that are eligible to address this type of need in Canada. So there isn't many players in this field. And for us, that's great because we got to be part of this field. And because of it, we're part of some, uh, let's call it a very exclusive club that can bid on... um, tenders of this type. So I think right now um, this offer has, I think, been offered for tenders and the pipeline is upwards of $4 million. So, yeah. To sell it? Well, in terms of the value of the contracts. Oh, okay. And that's only five cities. Jeez. Okay, wait, I have so many questions. Please. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's take a step back now. Sure. When did you start developing this software? So we started developing the software in 2017. It took us the better part of a okay. year to develop it. Um, and we developed it with uh, local partners, partners in the industry, 
Um, we reached out to animal shelters and <clears throat> uh, animal control teams in order to understand what their pain points were. And then we uh, we did the whole nine yards with with, with different um, city staff and municipal staff to understand their actual pain points. Because there is a disconnect, particularly in this niche market where um, you know, animal control and animal management is not a need until it becomes a need, until somebody gets attacked by a pit bull and nobody knows what a pit bull is. Um, so because of that, it's, it's, it's generating um, political awareness, but at the same time generating um, a product that is, um, that is solid, that is safe, that is structured, that, and that provides a strong ROI for those people that uh, need it, which are usually the frontline staff at municipal level. Okay, so even though pet owners would have to use it most likely, it's the tar- your target audience are these cities and these municipalities. Absolutely. I feel like that's that's like a lot to start a specific product for cities and municipalities. How do you even go, go about that? Go big or go home. Yeah. <laughs> go big or go home. Yeah, that's but a, every 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 everybody. I mean, listen, the, the cupcake market is saturated, so I can't really go into cupcakes <laughs> at this point. <laughs> Damn it. Okay, okay, yeah, no no cupcake market. <laughs> okay, so how did you figure out that there was a need for this in 2017? What sparked this idea? We started seeing um, calls for interest for softwares like this that didn't exist. It, a call for tender is, uh, a call for interest is the same thing as a call for tender when a city or municipality puts out a request, an official request, asking for information as to seeing who could address this need and their need is pretty much a Christmas list. And then they try to see how many companies can sort of come in and, and, and address this need. So when we started doing our research and then we started talking to some partners and we did our, our due diligence, we're like, there isn't many players. Currently there's four players in North America. There's three players in Canada and there's only two players that are eligible to operate in Quebec. And you're one of them. And we're one of them. Oh my God. And we're one of the four in North America. So in the last two years, you've come up with this idea, mm-hmm. executed, and now it's on the market just yes. recently. So it went on the market in uh, fall of 2018, where we restarted uh, doing, uh, pitching it and presenting it to municipalities for their technical reviews. We participated in a couple of um, conferences and congresses, particularly addressing uh, the conferences that address municipal needs. So the in Quebec, we have the Union de Municipalités Quebec. We have the um, national one, uh, the Canadian Federation one. <clears throat> and so because of that, we're able to uh, start talking to the decision makers and say, listen, this is a product that could be useful to your city. Uh, don't wait till it becomes an actual need uh, that becomes an electoral question. Yeah, don't react. Be proactive. Exactly. Yeah. And um, our process started in uh, end of 2018. And now we're at end of 2019, where we've presented to over 45 townships, municipalities, and cities throughout Ontario and Quebec. Did you start presenting when it was just a concept, or did you already have, like... We had a prototype. Okay, you so had prototype. So we, we had a, a prototype that we were able to present. Obviously, we're not going to sell something that doesn't exist, because municipalities are very uh, complex when they... Put out a call for tenants. They don't want to be the first one, but they want to be the only one. Uh, <laughs> uh, they, exactly. They, they want it personalized, but they don't want to pay the price for it. So it's, it's a very, it's, 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 it's a very unique uh, relationship. It's a very unique relationship. Yes. Okay. So if I can ask details, 
How many people worked on this project? Uh, seven. Okay, okay. So, because I'm, I'm wondering, for people who are listening and have an idea, especially if it's a software, mm-hmm. is someone able to reach out to developers, to, uh, I don't know, people in marketing, business developers, create a team and execute? Is that how you guys kind of went about it? Well, we have a team in-house. So our, 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 mm-hmm. our core company, Blue Creative, has a, um, a team of developers, a team of graphic designers, a couple of marketing specialists, consultants, and whatnot. So obviously, I'd like to be able to have our one of our, like this company specific, build all of its hours, but it doesn't. And so because of that, there's a lot of uh, gaps. And so what we were able oh, to okay. do was... Um, take these gaps and apply it to our software. That's crazy. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And you're still on this project, right? Yes. So I'm on the board of directors of this project. Um, and uh, I, I give them my my two cents uh, every time they need, which is pretty much every day almost at this point, because <laughs> there is a lot of um, uh, requests for official proposals by multiple municipalities. So it's, 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 it's the moment. And that's why I sit on the board. Obviously, this is not a, a whole year thing where I'm required every day, but mm-hmm. I am, I am in, in, the project, in the project. Okay, so for people who do have an idea for an app, software, how would you recommend going about it if right now they're just one person? That's, that's a complex question. And the reason why it's a complex question is because of the fact that developing a software is not a linear, pro- a linear process. Um, uh, the, and it depends on the capabilities of the individual. Um, right now, we're in a market where the majority of full-stack developers and or programmers will get more bang for their buck if they go work for somebody than if they try to build their own project. Um, so because of that, they better be well-funded. Um, you know, bootstrapping is the dream, but it's very hard. You know, we were able to do it. And, and again, our progression wasn't linear. It was a lot of ups, a lot of downs, and I hate roller coasters. Um, <laughs> but there you go. So, you know, when 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 my girlfriend says, let's go on a roller coaster, I'm like, that's my day-to-day. I don't need, you know, a weekend to go on a roller coaster. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but at the same time, um, it, it, it's a matter of understanding, um, understanding not just the beautiful sort of, side of i want to be an entrepreneur and i'm going to make this software and it's going to be the next best thing after you know TikTok or after you know instagram or <laughs> or whatever so that's that's the catch so realistically speaking there's a lot of research before you start coding there's a lot you, you have to have in my opinion a stage one a stage two a stage three of where you're going to start where you want to progress to and where's your you know three to five year objective and do you have the cash flow to do this? Um, do you have the resources to do it? Um, and maybe, just maybe, um, do you need to bring partners into this? I mean, mm-hmm. 100% of nothing is still nothing. And that's something that I always say to people when they're like, oh, well, I don't want to dilute my shares. I don't want to dilute my idea or my project. It's like, well, 100% of nothing is nothing. Mm-hmm. And I would take 10% of Google right now. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned a lot of stages that someone needs to go through to start any project. Mm-hmm. If we go through an example right now, you think we can go through those stages? There is there. The thing is, I don't have a science for it. 
Okay, um, so I'm, there's no formula. There is no formula. <laughs> <laughs> Pun intended. Um, yeah, no, it's. Uh, I, I think that um, I'm lucky to have a, a good team um, in place, and, and I'm just a part of the team. I'm by no means the, the boss of this team. It's more um, everybody brings in their strength, and uh, one of my favorite uh, things is sitting in a boardroom and strategizing. You know, what are, what are the stages that we need to accomplish and what is the objective? And and then, you know, okay, well, based on all this, can we do it? Yeah, sure. Okay, so now let's think of a name. All right, somebody order pizza. We're going to be here all night. Uh, yeah, but how do you get to the point where you're like, okay, we can do this? I, I need to know those <laughs> secrets. <laughs> how, how does one think of an idea and then get to the point where they're like, yes, this is possible? But I think that anything is possible. It's just a matter of timing. Anything is possible. I mean, I personally believe more in the 3M approach to technology where we can take technology and um, reapply it in a way that's not never been seen, never been done, never been used and addresses a massive need in a totally ignored market. Mm-hmm. Versus if I were to compete with the Googles of the world, well, I can't because they have a large team of just R&D. Mm-hmm. So at that point, you have to also understand what your reality is. And at that point, you make your game plan in accordance. Okay, do we have a need in a specific market that we've identified? Yes, absolutely. Okay, do we have the capabilities in-house to do it? And is there the technology that will allow us to do it? Yes. And then what stands between us doing it and other people doing it is that barrier to entry. You know, if in our case, if what we, you know, cordially call a Starbucks designer decides to to do it and can do it, we probably won't touch that project because it's too small and the barriers or entry are not that high. Um, so we, at least in our case, try to fall in a niche that is... Um, a little bit higher than the uh, one-man show, mm-hmm. one-woman show, one-person show that can do it, um, yet something that's not being addressed by the big players. And that's where we sort of find find our sort of our, our sandbox in order to be able to develop those softwares, progress, and, you know, either run them or sell them. What would you tell the people who would say, oh, everything, everything's been created? <clears throat> There's no, there's no room for me or my idea. That's perfectly fine. If everything's been created, then buy mine. <laughs> okay, let's talk about the selling of these projects that you've created. Okay. I don't sell companies. I build them. If they get sold, that's great. Okay. But not everything is made to be sold. Okay, go into that more. All right. <laughs> uh, fair enough. So I was a uh, founding member of a company called Blue Creative. Um, Blue Creative is a small team of um, graphic and web specialists. They're a team of about 14 people. Uh, They're based out of Montreal. They have a small sales office in Toronto, another one in Miami. And um, what they do is they provide uh, marketing and web support for companies who don't want to hire graphic designers in-house or creative directors or web developers or just have an idea, a vision, but have no idea how to execute it. And so this company, what they do is they uh, build a bank of hours where um, 
they integrate and embed specialists into the structure of the company they're servicing, similarly to if they were working in-house. And so these companies now have a very um, scalable and very uh, hands-on support team when it comes to graphic design, website development and management, web application development, um, and obviously marketing consulting and creative direction. I'm very proud of this company because this company um, has some very big clients under its belt, um, from from political parties to uh, some serious non-profs um, like uh, Cancer Coalition of Quebec. Uh, we've had clients in the past as uh, Investors Group, um, and and so on and so forth. I can name quite a bit. Uh, so we're not specific to any niche. We actually have quite a bit of customers in the consumer packaged good industry, in the financial, uh, political, and um, real estate. And you you helped build Blue, Blue Creative, yes. right? Yes. And now, so you're not a founder? I am a founder. I'm a founding okay. member. I'm a partner in it. Um, I am not um, spearheading it anymore. Uh, the new generation has entered and somebody else is spearheading it and I'm, I, I, I provide the, let's call it the background support for it. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's really cool. Somebody who I've been working with for over 10 years who uh, you know, I met when, you know, he was coming out of college and was very young and uh, worked on many projects together. And now he became a, a managing partner and now he is the managing partner. Um, and nobody better to run the business than him. Uh, I think that he does a great job. He has a different vision than I do in terms of um, how to run things. Uh, I think I'm getting at that at that stage where I may be considered old school. I've been I've heard the word boomer go around a couple of times, and I'm not too pleased about that. Um, but at the same time, if I know something for sure, is that I don't know everything, and I need the right people at the table. Um, now, in this case, I'm one of those people on the table giving my advice to that other person. Was it hard to pass it on to him? No, because it was the right time. Okay. No, what because it was about the right timing. Time. It's all about timing. It's all about timing. How it's do all you know? Is it just like a gut feeling? Some people do gut. Some people do others. Uh, for me, it was more of a, uh, this person is ready. Oh, Okay. Like he was ready. He was ready. Well, I thought he was ready. I don't think yeah. he thought he was ready. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he thinks I pushed him off the deep end, but uh, I think I think he was ready, and I think that uh, realistically, he's way more capable than I am at doing a couple of things that this company needs in order to be successful. So mm, that's a nice thing to say. I'm sure he'll appreciate that. I I just bring my old school boomer experience. <laughs> <laughs> when you first started Milo. Mm-hmm. Did you or do you plan on selling on selling it or do you plan on this being like your next? We don't know. Okay. We don't know because it really depends on the market. I mean, we've already gotten offers mm-hmm. to sell 50%. We've had VCs come in and want to take a, a controlling stake or a minority stake. Um, I'm not saying yes. I'm not saying no. Again, about timing. It's about the right person with the right vision coming in to mm-hmm. be a value added. Money for money's sake is, is is not the way to go if you want to make sure this project grows to the next level. So for Milo in particular, because it's, it is the software that is already out into market, it is, it is at that growing uh, pain sort of uh, stage where, you know, we could accept a VC or we could not. 
um, depending on how many projects we land or what are the needs or if you know bringing in uh, somebody into the board of directors brings a value added um, component to it like you know they they can accelerate us to the next level when it comes to development or or bigger better ideas so really at, at this point it's more bringing the right people and just bringing people for sake of money and crowded table so you didn't start this business intending on selling it at one point it was very much a project you wanted to work on <clears throat> everything can be sold okay under the right conditions Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, realistically speaking, if I get to the point where I cannot be of value to the project, uh, and I'm, I tend to be a hands-on person, I would look at it and be like, if this person can bring better value to it and I I make some money out of it, then it may be the time to sell. Versus uh, if it's not, it's not. I mean, we've had this conversation where, where, where we were offered a complete buyout, and we chose not to at this point. Um, that doesn't mean that in five years or in two years or in 10 years, it may or may not be the case. Again, it's all about timing. And just because you sell doesn't mean you sell completely 10% of a building versus 100% of nothing. So. If we go through the motions that you went through in building and selling a company, mm-hmm. can you give us an example of one that you built and sold? Sure. I mean... Um, I built, well, I helped build a company uh, in the late 2000s, um, an eternity ago. Maybe you are a boomer. No, my boomer. <laughs> and that is the answer. No, okay. <laughs> uh, so uh, we, uh, I got together with a couple of people, um, and my approach was to bring sort of a digital angle to marketing. We're talking 12 years ago, 14 years ago. Yeah, it's quite a long time ago. Where Revolutionary. Oof, yeah, and, and they were into print, exclusively print. And uh, we were able to build something. We, we, we garnished some really great clients. Um, but at that point, I was really pretty much running a company. It was just marketing, okay. digital marketing. Um, and they did the printing. And it was kind of like a very dysfunctional relationship. You know, couples living in two different rooms kind of thing. And, you know, like it was completely separated. Um, and so there wasn't, there wasn't as much synergy as I liked it. I did that for a couple of years and then I got to the point where my heart wasn't into it, um, where there was, there wasn't that, um, synchronicity. And so I said, listen, um, I'm definitely not interested in buying you guys out. So buy me out. Mm-hmm. And they did. And I moved on. And, uh, it was more of a sell for a reason that I could not continue providing a, a strong value uh, to the project because we weren't in sync. The people that were around the table did not have the same vision. And it's not, I, by, by no means am I promoting it's my way or the highway. It's not. It's just if I cannot provide or feel that I am accomplishing something and providing something to a project, then I'm not needed. And for me, my time is worth more than my money. So because of that, if, if, if I'm not uh, being hands-on, then I better be making head over fist in terms of money, and I'm not, so then that's the time for me to call it quits. Because of this example, 
you clearly took advantage of the market at a time where everything was just starting to be digital. Yes. Right? Right now, the markets that you see today, do you think there's a similar shift about to happen in this specific market that you can see anyway? Absolutely. It's called the fourth transformation right now. There's books about it. Um, I've taught it at McGill. Yay. Uh, <laughs> okay, what's the fourth? Here's, here's the course. Um, <laughs> let's talk about school. Children, take your notebooks out. You're going to be a quiz at the end. Uh, I'm ready. Let's do it. <laughs> no, the, the, fourth, the, the first transformation was the development of, of, of computer technology. I'll, I'll keep it really short, but computer technology. Y'all have seen these pictures on Facebook of a hard drive of like 50 megabytes that fits in the trunk of a of a pickup. Mm-hmm. Um, this will be the first transformation. The second transformation was the graphical user interface, Windows and whatnot. The third transformation was mobile. So, you know, touch screens, touch phones, the iPod, stuff like that. The fourth transformation now is uh, what Montreal is booming for. So we have artificial intelligence, you have virtual reality, you have mixed reality, you have uh, things like uh, deep fakes, which are really scary. Uh, it's very scary, but it's changing the way thing, uh, the, the way the market uh, works. I mean, I, I reason, recently read up on, I read an article and some of the names escaped me, but um, Jimmy Kimmel has been using somebody for deep fakes uh, as he does his uh, joke skits. And this person, I think he worked in a warehouse, but he just specialized in making deep fakes to the point where now it's his full-time job and uh, he makes uh, 10 times what he was making at a warehouse. Uh, For everyone listening, can you explain what deep fakes are? A deep fake is when you uh, take a video and uh, make it, make a video as a, for uh, like Obama. Obama makes a video and he's giving a speech. And for all terms and purposes to the naked eye, it looks like Obama. It sounds like Obama, but it is not Obama. Um, so, um, there is a very uh, famous uh, comedian uh, from Mad TV, if I'm not mistaken, and his name again escapes me, um, but he uh, does a very convincing um, uh, imitation in voice of Obama. So they used him to do joke deep fakes about Obama talking. And I was recently invited by the Montreal Chamber of Commerce to the Obama speech here in, in Montreal, where Obama addressed it, where he, he addressed the deep fakes and he was saying, it was it, it was quite revealing for him to see this deep fake and say that that's me it sounds like me it's just not me so in order to create a deep fake you need someone to sound like that person and i guess someone that looks like that person for it to work not necessarily i mean um looking like the person is is, is done by the computer okay the computer takes multiple uh, data points and well you know develop a a, a sort of, uh, for lack of a better word, a montage of, of what this person would look like talking this new content mm-hmm. that is being done by somebody else. Yeah. Oh, it's so weird. Okay, so fourth stage of the fourth, digital, fourth transformation. Fourth transformation is AI, mixed reality, all these things. Augmented, virtual. All, it all takes us things. out of where what we're used to, you know, like taking your iPad into your bedroom and logging into the IKEA software and then looking at how their new couch will look in that space that you have in your in your living yeah. room. To me, all these things right now, I guess, are mostly affecting consumer products. So mm-hmm. like Ikea, makeup, 
shoes. You know, sure. you can like try on the shoes that you're in the middle of your house. Um, but how is it going to go further than that? Is that what you're noticing? Well, it'll always go further than that. I mean, the first impact that we always see is in the consumer. That's when the consumer mm-hmm. oh, realizes okay. that things are changing. But these things exist uh, in the industrial sector for way longer. Um, there are certain companies that will move into a specific sphere because they want to um, be a trailblazer and they want to be recognized as such, even though even if there's a loss in that. And there's others who will slowly adapt. I mean, you know, no, no, nobody, nobody understands what, you know, virtual reality, augmented reality or mixed reality does or changes for anybody until you have a bunch of people walking aimlessly trying to catch a Pokemon in the middle of the street. <laughs> and then they're like, what the heck is going on? Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that, but, that happened. But that happened and it still happens. And, and there's things like, for example, virtual reality or mixed reality where um, you can't make it to a Super Bowl game. Well, you know, now the NFL has a specific package where you can buy um, a seat, a virtual seat, and you have a camera that does a 360. And so you can put your 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 VR equipment and you can look at the game like if you were in a bleacher or if you were in a VIP room and you can move your head 360 and you're seeing what's happening 360. Like this exists. Just, it, it does. It, it was two NFLs ago, two, uh, two Super Bowls ago this happened. What? This isn't even new. This if is I Google Super this Bowl. right now, we're going to find like seats to a virtual football game? It's not a virtual football game. It's a football game. Your tickets are virtual. So you're there watching an actual football game from the comfort of your house. So it's a virtual experience of something that's really happening. Yes. Jesus. Yeah. And uh, the World Cup wanted to do it. I don't think they were able to do it. I'm not too sure. But I know two Super Bowls ago that that's what was going on when... Samsung came out with their all with all their VR equipment and oh, whatnot. Oh, okay, okay. Oh my God, that's crazy. So these are these are places that not everything has been invented, and you know you don't have to develop, you know the, the new uh, deep blue from IBM in order to play in it. You just have to grab your niche and develop an idea and run with it. And you know, um, I've been mentoring uh, different groups, and uh, I recall very fondly a specific group. Um, which was with the Halt Foundation Accelerator um, here in Montreal, where there was a bunch of, you know, college and university students where they were presented a question by a bank. And they came up with these crazy ideas. And obviously, you know, 90% of them don't go through, but this 10%, the bank was like, yeah, you know, we'd be interested in seeing. And so these people were chosen to go into a sort of an accelerator to see if they can um, develop a plan to make their project a fruition. And then from there on, obviously, there's people who may give them funding. The accelerator will give them some funding and an um, ecosystem to continue enhancing and developing um, their projects. And, and it happens. I mean, right now, the flavor of the month has been a couple of, a very long month, I'll call it, but it's still Bitcoin and, bit, and, and, and uh, cryptocurrency and how. Financial technology is, is, is uh, and the startups are, are focusing on, you know, um, secure wallets for cryptocurrency and, and whatnot. So because of that, not everything has been invented. There's a lot to do. It's just a matter of finding your niche and, and running it. Thing is, I, th- I think people think that if you're not Google, you're not going to make an impact. Yet Google keeps on buying little companies left, right, and center because they develop a special expertise and then they bring it under a big umbrella, which they call Alphabet. But, you know, Google itself does not do everything. They have teams that run and they run like 
individual businesses and some yeah. some some of these groups are as small as five everything you're mentioning is very technology based yes what if someone isn't techie like how how are you going to survive in the next 20 years within a new business if you don't have the technology that's a very good question but that's more of a lifestyle question um because i i i, I find it very hard to believe that somebody nowadays isn't very techie Everybody has a mobile device. Everybody has a smart device. But I mean AI techie. I mean virtual reality level. Everyone, right now, yes, we have mobile devices and we know how to use a computer and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think we've already, we've gone past that already. Mm -hmm. So how do you survive in the AI virtual reality world? Um, in terms of like finding a job, in terms of creating a project. In creating terms a project. Well, I think that everybody has a role to play. I mean... I can see a project and, 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 and sort of visualize and create a structure from an abstract. But at the same time, it is very possible that there are roles for other people. Like, for example, if I'm developing a tool that is meant to target, you know, 14 to 18 year olds, well, heck, I'm not 14 or 18. I, the, there's no way I can come up with um, an understanding of what they need. I can come up with an understanding of the, what the project and the software could do. But there's people who will come in and, and, and provide support for, you know, the visuals and, and the user interface and the user experience. Um, and, and, and then there's other people who will, uh, you know, create the social and the digital for it. Um, so, so there is room. There, there is room. The, the issue is that we cannot... Uh, enter the 21st century and still think, you know, um, I just want to knit. You know, knit is a great hobby, but I don't know many people who make their living off of knitting still. And so mm -hmm. because of that, this is a natural progression. It's called generational change. Um, these jobs uh, that we were used to are, are, are coming to an end because a generation is coming to an end. And now the new generation is picking up. Um, and this new generation is fully digital. I say this with a grain of salt because at the same time, we don't live in a digital world. I mean, people say everything is digital, but, you know, right now you and I are face to face. We're not using virtual goggles and we're not, uh, you know, uh, you know, with gloves trying to, you know, play Tron or whatever. Um, <laughs> That'd be super cool, though. It would be very yeah. cool, but, but we don't live in a ready player one type world yeah. yet. And I don't think we will, uh, at least not in my lifetime. So, um, and no, I'm not a boomer, so I have quite a while to go. Um, <laughs> but that's the catch where we do have to uh, also uh, understand that not everything is digital. And a lot of people think, oh my God, if I'm not a techie or a digital, I'm losing. There's still a, a real world, you know. Newspapers may not control uh, the news cycle as they did 30 years ago, but they're still around. And billboards still make money and radio ads still make money and people still watch TV. And although people may be cutting the cord more and more with Netflix and Disney Plus and whatnot, they still use the TV. And a lot of people will prefer to view something on a television than view it on a phone. So we, we, we still have to think uh, with our own with our own common sense and not let ourselves get carried away by, oh, my God, everything is digital and if I don't jump on something, then, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doomed. It's, it's not so doom and gloom. That's good advice. So I want to jump into 
what you think about certain subjects. Okay. One of them is time management. Okay. You manage a lot of projects mm -hmm. and I can ask you, okay, how do you do that? Mm -hmm. But I want to go in more detail. Sure. How, not only how you manage your projects, but how do you, what does your day to day look like for you to be able to manage all these projects? Do you use an agenda? Do you have an assistant? Um, do you wake up at 4 a.m.? I need to know <laughs> these secrets. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there's a secret. I think you have to find what works for you. I think that a lot of people in my team would, would hesitate to say that I've managed time properly. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm being fully transparent here. Um, okay. Wait, wait, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, there's only so much of me to go around and... Uh, <laughs> You know, and a lot of requests come my way. Uh, so at, at the end of the day, you have to sort of understand that um, you, you do need to sleep your eight hours and, 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 and there's only X amount of hours in a day. Um, and, and sometimes I have to listen to my own advice. But um, the reality is that, uh, at least in, in, in my case, I, I have, I have uh, boxes and everything is very well structured in my head. And you look at my desk and it's look like a mess, but I know where that paper is, where that telephone number I wrote, you know, on the back of this business card that I don't need. Um, and, and I'll find it. Um, there's other people that have different things. You know, I, the, my strength is my, uh, my flexibility. My, my strength is the fact that I can walk into a situation and then your whole day gets shot because something happened and I'm able to adapt and, and, and conquer it, let's say, versus some people are not able to sort of uh, deviate from their structure. Um, so everybody comes with a different uh, toolbox. My toolbox, my strength is that, is that, you know, uh, I don't know what my day is going to be like. I, I use an agenda. And for the most part, you know, I try to keep to my agenda and I have some meetings and whatnot, but I know that I cannot... Uh, for the sake of, 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 of my um, sanity, yeah, <laughs> I guess that would be the right word. Yeah. I could not set up five meetings in one day because then I'm going to work till 2 a.m. answering emails and uh, reviewing papers. And then I'm going to get, uh, you know, messages uh, from my team saying, well, where's this? Where's that? Uh, you didn't give us this, uh, you know. Um, so you, you block time. I do block time. Yeah. So I you make do. sure you have enough time for your emails. Your I don't, no, unfortunately. Okay. I think I need to get better <laughs> okay, at that. Okay, except, except your emails, but everything else is very much blocked off. Um, for the most part, yeah. And for the most part, what I what I tend on doing sometimes is I take time out of the office. And, you know, I, I, I will look like uh, you know a hobo at a Starbucks, you know, with like really <laughs> fancy headphones. It's like, what is this guy doing? You know, he's probably, you know, reviewing for some exam at university. That's your escape, though. That is my escape. And, okay. and uh, I will sit down and I will you know, plow through a lot more work sometimes that way. Um, it also allows me to connect to my creative juices and, and, and sort of my my other strengths in order to be able to give stuff to my team. Um, so it's about changing your environment as well. Well, yeah. And I mean, understanding that if, if you want to enter this world, you the first thing you have to understand is that it's not business as usual. Business as usual is bad for someone like me. Mm -hmm. You know, business as usual is great for other people. Um, you know, and, and for the people who are in certain projects, if they're running a software, if they're running the development of something or the rollout for them, I will work hard to put out fires so that they can continue with business as usual. Because if they get out of their day to day, 
then the projects are not advancing. And so there always has to be a team of firefighters behind, you know, the, the, the management, let's call it. And that's kind of where I, I, I position myself. Um, and, and yeah, and, and I, I guess one of, one of my sort of angles is also trying to mitigate what is a yes and what is a no. I tend to say yes to many things and that I've learned to sort of modify and adapt because there's only so much time in the day and there's only so many requests you can do. And then even if you think, uh, you know, it's, I didn't do too much today. Maybe what I did do today required so much processing power and so much of my attention because it was uh, a very uh, brain draining exercise that, you know, you, you, you get to that point, you're like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that right now. <laughs> it happens. And it happens. Yeah. I'd be like, yeah, I'll put up with the, with the, uh, with, with the crapping of my colleagues or whatever <laughs> the next day. And I, and I will buy them a Starbucks and you know what, we'll, we'll make it work. <laughs> I like the flexibility though. You allow yourself, to say, hey, I don't want to do this right now. I'll do it tomorrow or whatever. You have to. I mean, obviously, within reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't jeopardize projects. Yeah, of course. That, that's a lot of the time management and making sure that you can you can take a bite that you can chew. Um, that, that takes time to learn. Mm. That does take time to learn because it has bitten me in the past. And I think I have gotten to that point where uh, I still take... Uh, big bites, but I'm able to parse them better. Okay. So from all your experience, what do you think is the one thing that brought you to where you are today? Just one. Being stubborn. <laughs> really? Yeah. How come? I, I, I left some really great paying jobs and most uh, people who are not entrepreneurial minded come to me it's like you you quit that job with that salary to do what you're doing and to have the um the uncertainty of you know making your nine to five and your x amount of money a year and buying your rsps yes i did and i don't expect everybody to understand it. and it's very hard for some people and there's nothing wrong with either side but for some people who are nine to fivers, it's very hard for them to understand what I do and how I do and how I'm able to make a living off of it and and understand that, you know, things aren't eternal. Uh, for example, a project I can put in, you know, sweat, blood and tears and then five years later, shut it down or sell it. And then people will say, well, was it worth it? You, you, you wasted five years of your life. And I'm like, well, did I? I mean, there's nothing different between me making a great living and investing in other projects for five years um or and then closing it down or you dedicating x amount of years to your job and then getting downsized or fired yeah that's risky too and people don't realize that don't realize it yeah because they put that risk that honest of responsibility somewhere mm-hmm. else and they think well, if i do my thing and i do this and i'm constant like, no, no 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 i will i will i will get to my objectives for me my, my biggest thing was i never i didn't want to sell my time yeah i wanted to sell my expertise mm-hmm. and that's where you can make money and if I apply that expertise into developing software or to consulting, I will make way more than $20, $25 an hour. So you were stubborn because you didn't want to settle for the 9 to 5? No, I did not. When, when I was in a 9 to 5, I never did a 9 to 5 anyways. I was always a little bit of an unfortunate overachiever. And that, always, that doesn't always get recognized. And so that was the whole, uh, you know, I could do it better than this person. I could probably do it better than this person. Why is this person the boss? Oh, my God. That's also not very good. It's, it's positive, but it's not very good because you're always unhappy. 
um, and you're always looking for the flaw in the system. Um, but I think everything comes with time. I think that if I had to look back at everything that I did, I would have probably waited a little bit longer before I took the dive into becoming an entrepreneur. Um, Why do you see that? Because um, when you're an entrepreneur and you make your own projects, when there's a mistake, you pay for the mistakes. Mm -hmm. But when I was at a company, the company paid for the mistakes. I didn't. Yeah. And so I learned more. However, um, going into agency and or going into your your own projects, you learn faster, you, you learn it hurts more so you're like Eesh, you pay more attention um and and so it's a, it's a different progression and i find that the person i was at 30 was not the person that i was surrounded weren't the same people i was surrounded with at 30. me at 30 i was dealing with people in their 40s and 50s in terms of experience and capacity uh versus you know other people in their 30s who you know were dealing with the same crowd and then people would ask, well, why do you go to this event? And, you know, oh my God, you're 30 and you're speaking to a room of 5,000 people or 10,000 people and you're giving a guest no speaker introduction or whatever. It was what drove me. And yeah. so that's where I stood out. So would you suggest that people try like the side hustle gigs? So they still have their nine to five and then they have their side gig. So to mitigate some risk at the beginning? 100%. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that we sort of implemented at one of the companies that we started up was uh, encouraging people to, to have their side hustle. Oh, really? Um, yeah, because, I mean, it's it. no matter how uh, um, dedicated and motivated you are about your career, you're always going to have another passion. Yeah. You always have another passion. And, you know, some people, it's simple things like the gym. And some people, it's, um, um, you know, building model airplanes. And then some people is, you know, like uh, I know somebody who loves to decorate cakes. And, uh, you know, they're like, you know, I have a, a big, you know, cake I have to do for the weekend for somebody's birthday party. And they're paying me a little bit and this and that. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? Um, take, take Friday afternoon if you're not too busy. Take it off and, you know, go. And that helps them with their creative output. Then also it helps them. Feel like they're being supported where they're working so it, it it definitely shows that we're part of their growth as an individual not just saying hey you know what you're not working in our project we want them to grow we want them to accelerate and um you know if that becomes a money maker for them well you know what we enjoyed them for the time that they were with us and they collaborated with our group some people it just it always remains a side hustle and some people make it a reality and you know kudos to both just really depends on that person's, you know, journey. Um, we just try to encourage it. Are there situations where you've had employees that actually grew their side hustle into something where they had to actually leave your yeah. company? Yeah, a couple of times. Yeah. A couple of times. And we even referred them clients. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I mean, if, if you don't encourage it, they're going to do it quietly. Um, and there's going to be this animosity. Um, and at the same time, we're all human beings with dreams and, and goals. And, you know, who are we to sort of shoot them down? We have to encourage it. I mean, uh, a lot of people, and, and this is why there's a lot of social implication in companies. You know, all these companies have very rigid structures. A lot of people, you'll see that they'll go out and they'll do some sort of charity event because that takes them out of their, you know, their, their nine to five. And, and that's where they're using their extra energy. That's probably because they haven't found that thing that drives them, you know? Uh, for over 10 years, I coached uh, competitive soccer. Uh, I did my, my levels. I did my degrees. And 
I was able to coach all the way up to Division One in Quebec. And that was my side hustle for a long time. Didn't pay me anything. Um, but I was able to meet a lot of people, grow. I was able to sit on the board of directors of a, of a soccer association that got me to meet people in the city and then people on that board of directors were people of different walks of life. And obviously I was the youngest person. Um, so that also sort of um, nourished my network and my ecosystem. So then I was able to sort of rely on these people because we had something in common. And then from there on, we, you know, you grow and nourish those relationships. As my last question to you. Sure. If you had to leave the audience with one piece of advice, if they wanted to start building their own business, what would it be? I don't know if my advice would be to start your own business. Oh. I, I think that my advice would be follow what motivates you. And if that motivation is building a business or finding a solution to a problem that's in the market, if, if it's significant enough, it'll become its own business or its own project, and, 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 and then you have something. I mean, I've never wanted to be a one-man show where the company, if I'm not around, the company doesn't work. I, 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 I've always been a fan of the project taking its own life. And if the project takes its own life, it becomes its own thing, its own being, then you're just there for the journey. And you, you're helping it. You're helping guide it. That's why you hear a lot of founders, a lot of entrepreneurs say, it's my baby, it's my child. It's because it doesn't listen to you. You can only guide it. You can only try to teach it. You can only try to correct it. But sometimes it does things and you're like, no, why are you doing this? Why do you hurt me when I love you so much? But uh, at the same time, it's, it's, it's the way that a project should be started. Because if not, then you're just selling yourself. Mm-hmm. And the only difference between... Uh, what you're doing, what you were doing before is before you were guaranteed getting paid for your time. Now you're actually struggling because you're selling yourself. And if you're successful, yay. But if you're not, which is 90% of the population, they don't and they have to go back and they feel they're a failure. So at the end of the day, what they have to do is they have to identify the dream, identify the idea and make a project that can become its own thing. And if that happens, then Make it a business, make it a project, make it a startup, make it a software. Don't just open a business to open a business. That's great advice. I think that's good. So even if I have a thousand other questions for you. We can do another podcast in another moment. I I think we need one. Not a problem. I don't think this was enough. Sure. Um, but thank you. You, for you, you brought you brought a communications person to <laughs> to talk. You thought this was gonna be a. I thought it was gonna be an hour. <laughs> oh no! I was wrong. We, I was wrong. It's we need fine. to we need to do this in summer. We need to bring a barbecue. Uh, yeah. I was wrong. You know, we all make mistakes. This was my mistake. Um, but thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. It was awesome, and we're gonna do this again. Absolutely. A follow up. Yes. To get more of your background. Sure. I mean, there's more softwares coming up next year. There's more projects coming oh, yeah, up next yeah. year. Uh, we want to know all about your projects and yeah. how how you got to this successful place that you're no, in right now. Successful, not there yet. One day. You don't think you're successful? No, not yet. How do you de- define success? Hey, boy. Um, <laughs> I guess I'll I'll tell you the next podcast. I don't know. I mean, I I, I I think the success is being comfortable where you're at, and I think I still have a couple of things to achieve before I can okay. say, okay, you know what? Now I'm I'm okay. I can coast it a little bit more. Okay. I think that I'm not there yet. 
Okay, I mean, good. realistically speaking, I'd like to retire by my mid-40s. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by retire is effectively not need to work for anybody. I can just run my projects and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But again, that could be a pipe dream. Who knows? All I know is Keep that... Keep dreaming, Lise. Well, you that's can do it. this. That's it. Right now, success is based on, um, you know, my obligations. I think I'm relatively successful because I control my time and my projects. But I just think that there's still a lot more to do. Yeah. Okay, so next podcast, we'll touch on this again. Absolutely. And then you can ask me if I'm <laughs> next, successful then. Okay, next episode, we're going to, yeah, we're going to do this again. Absolutely. Uh, but thank you for so much for being no, here. No, thank you for the invite <laughs> and uh, talk to you guys next time. This is an extra special episode because Luis Diaz agreed to do a follow-up episode. So yes, he will be back on the No Formula podcast and he will be addressing your questions. You can leave any questions you want for him on the No Formula podcast page on LinkedIn or on Twitter at NFPod. Thanks so much for listening and don't forget to submit your questions.